for our sponsor, Dog Overboard Adamstown, the fun and healthy place for dogs. Pet Chat on your pet-friendly radio station, 2NURFM 103.7. Hello, hello. Yes, we're back. Cheryl Shaw, Dr Paul McCarthy, lovely to have you both in. You survived yesterday. Yes, We're all intact. Very scary times, wasn't it? Very, very much so. Now, we're talking about sun and hot weather and our pets today. I mean, it seems very fitting given what we've been through the last 24 hours. Yes, and we're going to be talking about sunscreen for your pets. And you've got a pair of sunglasses on as you broach today. I have. Sunscreen for your pets. Yes. That's right. You can actually purchase this. That's right. Oh, my goodness. And, uh, Dr. Paul, what are we looking at today? Uh, The dangers of the heat. Uh, Hello, Chris in Cardiff South. You've got a puppy and some questions around that. Yes, hello, Sarah. How are you? I'm well, thank you. It's your good old teammate. Oh, it's Christine, who I train with. Hello, Christine. Yes. A lovely Hello. lady, and she's got a new puppy, <laughs> which has been keeping you up at night, hasn't it? Well, no, she's, well, she's starting to, she's sleeping well, but what I wanted to ask the vet and um, the group lady is she still can't get to understand the command for down. Honest to God, she just jumps on everything. Just that command down is just goes straight through her ears. Is there anything else we could try? We tried everything, we treats and everything else. So, so, so Chris, what are you well, using, what are you using down for? So well, we're trying to get her to just. We tell her to sit. She yeah. does sit. Yeah. And then, but when people come, she's automatically jumps up on everybody and everything, and does that little biting still, you know, of a puppy. She's sixteen weeks. Um, she's a Kelpie cross, so yeah. Yeah, so I think this is less about the actual command down and more about right. the excitement around visitors arriving. Right. Uh, and yeah. so um, no dog will listen to That's you. Probably more. Um, to, no dog will listen to any command, really, if the excitement <laughs> of what's around them is higher yeah. than the reward they get for doing the command. So, okay. so the, the first thing in these circumstances really is to try and get the dog's attention. It needn't be that right. they sit or drop or or do an uh, actual request, but actually getting yep. the attention. And so your your first important thing is to have such a high drive treat or praise or toy that you can distract the dog to you have to you being the focus rather than the the visitor right okay so it's almost even a negative to try and get your dog to do a request if they haven't if you haven't got their attention first so there's no point saying down 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 because all the puppy hears is white noise white noise um, and right. actually makes the, yep. the value of that command even less when they do finally get it. So your goal right. would be when, a, when someone's arriving is that you would yep. either have the dog on a lead or have a dog in an area but they're not directly associated with the front door and you would have the okay. dog looking at you, you'd have your treats ready, yep. you'd be praising the dog yep. when the attention was given yep. to you. You could then okay. try and do a sit and a drop if you wish to, but I would sort of right. save those, those commands for when you're really needing the dog right. to form for you rather than those really high excitement phases the most important of those for a puppy is really just to get the attention um right she does it she does it as well when we're sitting like when we're actually trying to actually relax a bit she constantly is trying to get that yeah Uh, in those circumstances it's about 
providing a displacement activity if it's not you. So yeah, yeah, so a, a chew toy or something to gnaw on, um, mm-hmm. a game that doesn't involve you, um, having an activity yep. that the dog can be distracted with so that the entertainment yep. needn't be you. Okay. And also, can can what age can she be to start to, um, like, bones or something or other than just chew treats? You know what I mean? What like, breed of dog do you have? Say, uh, like, you say Kelpie Cross. She's a Kelpie Cross, yeah. Okay. Yeah, so at the moment, how old did you say she was? She's 16 weeks. 16 so weeks. She's four so months most old. of her yeah. teeth at the moment are still what we call deciduous teeth. So they're not the adult okay. teeth coming through. So there's little benefit in giving a bone for those deciduous teeth because if you're trying to use them for cleaning, those teeth are going anyway. Um, okay, so if, um, I'm always cautious to advocate the use of bones depending upon the breed type and, and what your, your goal from the bone is. Um, if, right. it's, if it's for. Um, entertainment, then certainly the yes. rule for the bone is that the bone needs to be as big as the bone can be um, and the right. dog gnaws on the bone edges and on the bone itself trying to not get the bone splintered or broken so that the dog's ingesting the bony parts. Um, no that's worries. what I generally yep. suggest. But for a, a dog of 16 weeks, um, I, I would use other toys rather than the bone first up. And be no very, very conscious in Kelpies too because they have often have a very strong guarding instinct. Um, bones can yep. be what we call treasured resources and it can bring out the right. worst in behaviour. Um, so just be very okay. conscious that if you do start using bones that you've got a dog that you're able to pick the bone up from, remove the bone um, without there being any um, hesitation from the dog. Hesitation if you get growling or guarding, yeah. bones are gone. Okay. Right here. All no right, worries. Chris. Thank, thank you. you. We'll see you back thank at you. training. Yes, hopefully next week, Sarah, or oh. fingers crossed. Fingers so. crossed. Chris yes. is a bit of a legend here at 2 RFM because she actually won our 12-week challenge oh, for wow. the biggest weight loss. Oh, yeah. congratulations, yeah. Chris. She's well amazing. Uh, it's no chocolate this week, so, Chris, I hope you're earning us some points because <laughs> I have got zero at this point in time. 49216216. Yes, we're talking pet chat, and we would love your questions today. Dr. Paul McCarthy here to help you out, answer any of those concerns. Now, Cheryl, we're talking about sun protection for our pets a lot of us forget that our pets are like us if not worse when it comes to to heat and not being able to sweat in the sun we need to be looking after them absolutely sarah look we all you know give the children the slip slop and slap we put the hats on and the sunnies and the t-shirts to protect ourselves but often we forget about our pets It's really important that all pets, particularly the ones that are outside during the day, have shade. So you must make sure that there's shade for your dog to go in. But even with shade, there's still ultraviolet lights that can happen. Um, Those rays can actually burn your dog. Now, some dogs are more prone to um, sunbaking. They love to bear their tummies and they'll sunbake. And given that, depending on how much coat they have, so our dogs that don't have a lot of fur so that they could be their pigmentation very light, even uh, quite pink, um, those dogs are really prone to getting problems with skin cancer. And, Paul, there are some breeds of dogs that incredibly are more prone than others. Yeah, sure. So certainly it comes down to pigmentation, Cheryl. So pale pigmented dogs who have very little melanin or or, or we call pigment in their skin are much more likely to develop those what we call UV or solar dermatitis, which is where the UV rays actually create a dermatitis on the skin. Um, Dalmatians are a really common one affected Mm. by those. Fox terriers also. Um, And in particular, 
pale staffies. Yes. So both staffies who love lying on their backs and they expose their pink bellies to the sun, they're the ones we commonly see affected initially by solar dermatitis, but that can go on to develop actually solar um, cancers as well. Yeah, so not all um, skin cancers, not, not all cancers on skin are caused by the sun. There's lots Correct. of different different ones. Yeah. If we are going to use some sunscreen, we've got to make sure that we're using the right sunscreen because some sunscreens are quite toxic. That's right. And in actual fact, it needs to be a um, ideally a dog-based suntan lotion. So some zincs can be used in dogs, but generally you're far better to use a suntan lotion that has been formatted for um, for your pets because most of the human ones, A, won't be absorbed correctly and, as you've already rightly mentioned, can be toxic. Yeah, because that zinc oxide, which is often used in our sunscreens, is quite toxic. Correct. And particularly for cats too that are, are licking themselves because a lot of cats spend time, even if they're not an outside cat, sitting in windowsills mm-hmm. and absorbing the sunlight. So you might not even be aware of just what the cat is doing. Yeah, so, especially white cats. White yes. cats with pink ears, pink noses, they're the real solar damage. So cats. do we put cream on them as well? Because how do you get through the fur. Yeah, so the, the, the handy Just thing on for, the inside of the ears? Or yeah, something? the handy thing for ears generally is that they often have a very thick coating of hair, so you can often get those and the, the ones that are made for pets are actually a very dense material so they're almost like a gel uh-huh. um, and so they, they tend to be much easier to apply and they have a sort of a, a greater resistance on, on the skin. Okay. So they're, they're the best ones to use. Um, I always advocate that any white cat is an indoor only cat. Yeah. In that yep. I, I can't, we, we commonly have to remove ears and noses from cats that have had severe solar dermatitis mm-hmm. and cancers associated with that. Yeah, and the windowsill is just a thing that you don't often think about, yeah. just yeah. how much sunlight they're actually getting through the window. The other thing too is really important, if you're taking your dog to the beach and you're applying your sunscreen, to make sure after the dog has been in, the, in swimming that you reapply just like ourselves because this will wash off the pet as well. Yeah, and particularly as you already mentioned, grooming re- reduces the, the effects, effects as well. So in areas where ears and nose where they can't groom as easily are less of a problem but if you're using it on the belly and pads in particular they're easy to reach for for the tongue yeah i just think that you know it's a really important thing to be aware when you're out and about just you know if you're getting sunburnt so is your pet and the dogs that don't have so much fur on them when they're out in that sunlight wow it's it's quite um scary yeah it even comes down to very simple things we always suggest in the in the in summer Avoid walking your dog between 10 and 3. Yes. The same rules as you would do for us is is it far better to be in the shade somewhere uh, or even indoors better um, than be out in the, in, the, in the peak of that UV sun. Um, and also the fact that though that choosing your breed type, we live in Australia, um, it's important that you're looking at dogs that are appropriate. If you're going to have a long-haired dog, it's good to have some co-protection. But if it's the peak of summer, have them groomed, as you, as you already see, Cheryl. Getting some of that coat off for these really thick-haired yes. dogs reduces their risk of heat stroke substantially. And, Paul, you know what I've seen? Dogs wearing sunglasses. Doggles. Yes, those doggles. <laughs> I saw a dog wearing a hat at Nobby's um, on yeah, the weekend. Yeah. It was brilliant. Yeah. There's actually some very good information. There's a, a couple of diseases, particularly in German Shepherds, where sunlight can actually damage the eyes um, and create a disease called panis. And, and if you can train these dogs who develop panis to wear the doggles, it takes away half the disease. It's, it, they're terrific things. Yeah. It's just getting them initially to be trained to wear them is the tricky part. And they're great right on utes there. as well, you know, when the dogs are travelling on the back of each other. Yeah, to stop the dust part. Yeah. Yes, yes, yes. Thank you, Mark. Mark in Rutherford, I know you've been waiting patiently. Now, you've got a question about multiple puppies? Yes, yeah, we've, we've, uh, we've got three puppies. And uh, what, what's happening? They've got a flea infestation around their necks. And I'm just wondering, they're only three weeks old, I'm just wondering what we can do to treat them. 
Yeah, sure. So your easiest mark is a product called Frontline Spray. So it's safe to use even on newborns. Um, don't use the spot-on um, or any of the stronger concentrated um, products, but Frontline Spray is the easiest and safest to use. So on the packet, there will be a dose of sprays to give per weight of kilo, but often what I find the simplest also is to grab a pair of rubber gloves, spray your gloves with the product, and then rub your hands with the gloves on over your puppies. Um, and that, that spray will last eight weeks. Okay, very good. What about, what about treating the bedding area? What sort of use, use for that? Oh, so I would just have a look at some of the products you'll probably find in Bunnings and the homeware centres. That they'll have some. Um, you'll probably need to do both a combination of vacuuming and sprays um, to try and make sure that the eggs and the larvae are removed. Lots of the chemicals we use against fleas won't actually penetrate the egg. Um, and so vacuuming and washing are the two ways to get rid of those. Um, just be very... Um, so normally they will have... the, the where the, did the pups come with the fleas, or did mum bring them with her? Mum, yeah, mum brought them. They were unborn three weeks ago. Okay. And the mother's, yeah, the mother's, she's got a small amount of fleas, which we sort of treat for her. Um, but, yeah, when I, was, when I was cooling the puppies down yesterday, underneath their necks, especially. Yeah. So, so generally, as I said, mum, if mum's the, the, the culprit, she'll need to be treated, and, of course, any other yes. pets in the household. Um, and yes. you can use the, the, the frontline spray on, on her as well, but otherwise there are combination products you can use on, on older dogs. Um, they're just not safe to use in the newborns. But yes. the, the problem you'll, you'll have is that the population of fleas on your pets is about 10% of the eggs and larvae that are now in your environment. So that'll be your biggest battle is trying to control the environmental contagion. Yes, yes, yes. Now, appreciate that. Yeah, I mean, very, very, it's very important to control fleas because we do see flea, um, what we call flea bite anemia, where puppies can die from the number of fleas feeding off them. So you're good to get yeah. onto that. Okay, we'll do it. Well, I appreciate it. Thanks, 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 Mark. No problems at all, Thanks Mark. for the call. We're going to go to Chris now. Chris, uh, you've got a question about your dog for Dr Paul McCarthy. Uh, sorry, is that, are you talking to Chris? Yeah, you Chris? Yeah, yeah, yeah. you broke up there for a minute. Oh. Yeah, so I've got a... My partner's got an eight-year-old male Wymarana and he limps on his left leg quite often and when you check him out, he, he almost goes to sleep. He loves it and... We're wondering if he's having us on or is there something there that wouldn't show up when you massage his leg? Um, Wymaranas are prone to a couple of conditions and, and at eight we, we're, we're looking at a few of those more commonly than others. So um, is the lameness made worse by rest or is it, made imp is it improved with rest? Uh, yeah, improves with rest, I think. Improves yeah, I mean, with rest, if, okay. If he, if he had arthritis, would he sort of yelp when you're squeezing, pulling, probing? Not necessarily sort of at all, no. So, so dogs okay. are much more stoic than us. So um, they, they do feel pain, obviously, but they, they're much braver in, in, in controlling it than we are. And often a lameness that is visible at the walk um, won't be palpable, and you, you often need to have x-rays taken to diagnose that. With the fact that it's one leg, it's unusual for arthritis to be specifically affecting one limb. Um, right. it, it's more commonly in arthritis that you'll have multiple limbs affected because they're all ageing at the same rate. Unless there's been trauma to a particular limb, um, uh, if, a, if a leg previously in the past has been injured, that one will be more likely to develop arthritic disease because of the fact that there'll be an instability in the joint. But oh, okay. also soft tissue injuries, so ligament or tendon strains, which are the ones most commonly that improve with rest, 
are not necessarily going to be something you can palpate as painful. Um, it's more extension and flexion of the limb that will give those that give you the evidence that those are affected. So I'd probably suggest your best bet would be to have a vet have a have a palpate uh, and have an extension and flexion of that limb. I'd be suspicious with a, a, a pain that gets better with rest, but it's probably soft tissue, maybe more so than joint associated. Joints normally are when your dog's had a rest and they take those really first very sort of tentative first steps after a rest but warm up with activity that's more likely classic for arthritis if a lameness is getting better with rest then it generally means it's soft tissue so ligament tendon or muscle Okay, that's some good feedback. Well, I didn't think he was that smart, so, yeah, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> I might try it at home, though, and see how I go. <laughs> <laughs> thanks, Chris. Right. Thanks a lot. But let's go to Dawn now uh, in Newcastle. A question about your rotty cross. I have a big rotty dozen, and he's five and a half. He's had both his back ACLs done. Mm-hmm. And he's now limping on both feet. He's been diagnosed with arthritis off his x-rays. Mm-hmm. Um, so what I want to do is some natural... I need some recommendations to natural therapy management. Yeah, sure. So have you had a look at having some physiotherapy made up for, for your dog? No, no one's mentioned that to me. Oh, okay. So there are... Um, physiotherapists in Newcastle that, that deal in, in, particularly in canine physiotherapists we have one that comes to our practice, Lindy um, and they can set up an actual um, exercise regime for you so that you can um, sort of help build the muscle and the tone up in those limbs and have the dog learn some sort of more corrective ways of moving that'll take some of the pain away so physiotherapy is terrific for those sorts of circumstances, particularly as we know in dogs like bodies who are going to have had those cruciate ligament injuries Arthritis is, is always coming, regardless of whether they're fixed or not. Um, yeah. And so physiotherapy would be a really great start. Um, how much does your dog weigh, Dawn? He's about 48. Yeah. yeah. Okay. And so certainly um, weight management is, is crucial to the management of, of arthritis in these guys as well. So um, trying to ensure that the weight's within the normal range. That sounds a little heavy, I would think. So you, you might want yeah. to have a, have a look at trying to reduce the body weight there. In that The common sense is the less weight you carry, the less stress your joints receive. So reducing weight. Yeah. And there are lots of good diets out there now formulated for dogs who are trying to lose that, um, that weight as well as contain things like the conjoint and the glucosamine that can help joints. So the other point you have in this one is the use of supplemental or what we call conservative um, complementary medicines. Um, And so things like glucosamine, uh, chondroitin, the omega-3, omega-6 fatty acid supplements. There's a whole list of things now that are are, are of benefit, particularly in helping the joint fluid uh, remain nice and and cushioning, um, as well as also trying to provide some relief for those damaged joints. So um, have a chat to your vet. There's a lot of complementary medicine that can help with that as well. Um, the other thing is very simple things like ice packs as well. So on days that your dog's had some very big exercise or is really struggling, the use of hot and cold compressing on joints, the same as we do in people, can be very helpful yep. for dogs as an acute treatment plan, um, as, as well as being um, you know easy to do as well. So uh, rotation of hot and cold packs often help the, those joints much more happy as well. Helen in East Maitland, a question about your cats. Yes. I'd like to put a kitten with two 12-year-old cats. Oh, okay. And, and have, the, have the, the older cats always lived together? Yes, they fret for each other when they're apart. But they did live with cats uh, 
when they were three-year-olds. Okay. Since then, it's just been them. Okay. So it's certainly the fact that they've already lived in a multi-cat household will help you a little bit in that often that makes them more able to handle the change. The most important initially will be that the kitten coming into your home is given a space that only the kitten's allowed to be in. So the kitten needs to bond to a bit of territory unaffected by the other cats first, um, and that could be for a week or so. So the cat just has a room in your home. Um, you visit the cat in there. Um, the cat learns that that's where its space is. It has a litter tray in there. It has its food in there. And predominantly, it initially just bonds to you and, and the, that room. Um, then as you start to get some more confidence in the kitten, the kitten's feeling more at home, you can look at having the kitten exposed to the other cats in their areas. Try and find a, a, what we call a mutual zone. So often a lounge room is that, or a kitchen can act as that as well. Um, and it's a space where the cats can see the kitten. You've got the kitten either held or on a lead or in a, in a carrier sometimes, and just let them see each other without there being direct contact. The, the, the key to having success here, Helen, is to try and make the transition as a group as slow as you can so that everyone's aware that there's different zones that they can run to if they get in trouble um, and that there's no one sort of taking over the space in one big foul swoop. Um, certainly then, once you've had the exposure with them um, being seeing each other, you can, as, if that goes well, you can start letting them have some time together, but they still have separate times as well. So there's still a space the kitten can go back to. Um, and as they start to form that bond, hopefully, that forms between cats, then you can be less vigilant about the time they're spending as a group. Okay, thank you. That's okay. Thanks, Helen. We're going to go to Christy now. Uh, Christy, a question about your dog. Hi, I have a one-year-old. She's a Maltese cross palm Iranian. Every time she has a dentist stick or a bone of some sort or anything in the mouth that's bigger, like larger, she just she cries and whimpers. Is that normal for her or for a dog? So, so she's crying when she's playing. Did you say sorry? So when she's got it in her mouth, yeah, um, she's walking around with it, but she's she's crying and whimpering with it in the mouth. Ah, uh, okay. So that's an anxiety response. So what she's actually worried about is, or it could be a couple of things. Um, one is losing the, the the what's in her mouth, what what she's carrying. Um, okay. Yeah, she's worried that she will she won't won't have the won't be able to play with that long term, um, or that there's um, that, that she's not feeling safe in her environment, and and this thing in her mouth is acting a bit like a security blanket. Does she okay. ha- does she manifest any other um, anxiety traits? Not that I've noticed. It just seems to be when she's got these, like these dentist sticks or like a bone, sure she'll eat them. But then when she's carrying it around, it's just like, yeah, she's she's whimpering and yeah. So she's she's viewing these as treasured resources. She's nervous about where she can safely go to chew on this and not be um, not have it lost or taken. Um, and so I'd I'd probably suggest. It may not be the best thing to be giving these treats because it could be that that anxiety will fuel and can become what we call, we see, we see guarding behaviour associated with that and sometimes guarding aggression associated with that as well. So I, I would possibly look at other things that may not trigger that response. So um, okay. if it's not food-based, you might find that you can use a chew toy for the teeth and get the dental hygiene, but you don't prompt this guarding or this, res- this this sort of resource anxiety so looking at say rope chew toys or soft chew toys things that maybe don't present as a as a treasured resource and therefore trigger that anxiety 
Okay, no worries. Thank yeah. you. So, 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 I often get anxious about lots of different things, and one of the things they often get anxious about is losing a resource they really treasure. Um, yeah. And and so often by not presenting them with that treasured resource, we remove that level of anxiety from them. Okay, no problem. Thanks, Christy. Thank you for your call today. If you do have a call for Dr. A question rather for Dr. Paul McCarthy, uh, now's the time to do that. We've got a free line and we are running out of time. So 49216216 is our number. Now, Dr. Paul, we're talking about burns in our pets because yes. that is quite common at yeah. this time of year and with weather and temperatures that we've been experiencing. Correct. So I, I thought I would try and talk about some first day for dogs or cats who have been exposed to, to burns. The most common burns you'll see at this time of year, sadly, of course, obviously, the, the very obvious burn, the fire burn. Yep. Um, but also be careful of things like caustic material. So bleaches and disinfectants can cause a chemical burn. Um, and as we get the Christmas lights coming out, we often see dogs and cats who are bitten through the power the power cord oh, to the lights okay. and they actually get electrical burns on their lips and tongue. Not nice. Yeah, so um, certainly for uh, a fire burn, the most important is to keep the area cool and moist. So burns cause a loss of moisture from the skin and the loss of moisture can actually cause shock um, and you can die from the shock of that. So right. really important to try and keep that area uh, moist as you can. The, so the like best cold a, washes? A cold wet towel. Okay. If you can wrap yep. your burn dog in a cold wet towel and have them get to the vet as soon as you can, that's the really first thing for those. For electrical burns, make sure you obviously you turn the power off before you try and remove the cord. Um, and for chemical burns, try and rinse as much of the chemical off as you certainly can and then seek attention. Most burns sadly become infected, both in the mouth and the electrical ones and the caustic ones and the fire. So one of the really difficult diseases associated with any burn of any type is actually septicemia secondary to that loss of protection that those skin barriers provide against bacteria. So is that antibiotics that we get Correct. start them on as soon as yeah, you know, they're admitted? Yeah, Really important to get that antibiotic started as soon as possible. And Dr Paul, what about burns on the pads? Um, yeah, you so know, from hot cement. And yeah, yeah. yeah. And look, at this time we also get the, the barbecue ones where the cat oh. or dog have jumped up onto the barbecue to get the sausage. Oh, um, yeah, so th those pads sloth. So you lose the skin, you lose the dermis, and they're incredibly painful. So pain management for feet burns is very, very important. And sadly, because you often can't suture those areas, it's about frequent bandage changes. Okay. So really important to get those seen to as soon as they ever happen. Some really good advice. Let's go back to the phones now. Hello, Frank in Paxton. You've got a cat question. Yes, I have. It's a stray cat, and it's, it's hanging around waiting for our old cat to die, I'm sure of. But the wife is soft, so she feeds it and she wants to look after it. But it has these all over its body little kind of pimply scabs and that fur comes out in little lumps. Yeah. So there's two most common causes for that, Frank. The first, and I think the most likely, particularly this time of year, is that stray cat has a lot of fleas. A lot of fleas, yeah, okay. And flea allergy dermatitis causes crusting and flaking of the, the coat. Yeah. Um, and uh, particularly around head, about down the back, um, yep. in, on the underbelly, they're the most common spots affected by mm -hmm. flea bite allergy. Um, flea treatment will be the first step. 
in that often that's all you need to do with these guys. You treat the fleas and they'll respond. Sometimes yep. if, they, if they've been having enough flea bites, they've developed a um, systemic allergy and they require mm-hmm. medication to suppress that allergic response. I would think that's uh, the, the okay. first most likely cause is fleas. But certainly yep. cats can get allergic allergies to grass and to food and to any pollens just like any other, any other animal can do. Mm-hmm. So if flea treatment doesn't help the cat, then looking at having a trip to the vet to have a chat to them about different okay. allergy medications you can use as well. Yep. But I would okay, rule out we... fleas, number one, and particularly yep. if your older cat is still around, that stray cat's bringing those fleas into your environment, so make mm-hmm. sure you treat everybody. Treating too. Okay, then. Thank you very much. Good luck, Frank. Thanks. So we'll get onto the fleas. <laughs> <laughs> get onto the fleas. I think that cat's yours now once you <laughs> yeah. start treating cats it. Cats normally yeah. choose their owners. <laughs> yeah. I think so too. Thank you. <laughs> Good luck, Frank. Now, look, I think uh, Dr. David Tabret touched on it last week, Paul, but uh, talking about sunstroke and yes, heat in, stroke. Yeah, yeah, heat stroke absolutely. in our pets, what do we need to look out for and okay. be mindful of this time of year? Yeah, so certainly the most commonly affected breeds of heat stroke are the breeds with the squished in noses, what we call brachycephalic breeds. So if you've got dogs such as pugs, Luz Apsos, French Bulldogs, then really it's important to try and get those guys um, very cool, particularly between the, eight, the hours of 11 and 3, those really hot days. So don't walk dogs in those time periods. Any dog, to be honest, I try and recommend during the summer, walk your dogs early in the morning or later in the evening. Now, heat stroke disappointingly won't always be resolved by air conditioning so people think putting a dog in the air con or under a fan will fix that Mm -hmm. but remembering that that works when you're sweating and so because we sweat the the cool air blowing across us cools us down that won't be the effect that'll help dogs with heat stroke Uh. so if you start seeing a dog that's hyperventilating lethargic not wishing to move, vomiting on a very hot day your best way to cool that dog down is actually a wet towel don't look at trying to put your aircon on high. It won't be enough to make a difference to that dog. Okay. So heat stroke, we commonly see people are, are, are worried about the heat stroke. They put their dog in front of the fan. The fan won't be enough. The fan will work if you have a wet towel over the dog at the same time. Okay. Okay. And they do- need the moisture to make the difference. And is it something that our pets... Are they aware when they're getting too hot? Because Generally, my dog suns itself. Than us and, okay. and so they will move to the shade. We see most commonly heat stroke in dogs that either have provided yards with no shade or have been exercised in the middle of the day. So okay. the cases of heat stroke we've seen the last 12 months have generally been dogs, sadly, who have been exercised inappropriately, where the owners haven't recognised that it's been too hot for their dogs to exercise. Interestingly, dogs often heat up much faster than we do. And so to- heats that we can tolerate, often our dogs can't. And it's because, particularly in those short-nosed dogs, they've not got the capacity to cool the air via their nasal passages before they hit the lungs. And so you're actually having them uh, inhale that warm air. They can't cool that, and then that just heats their system up. So days like yesterday, I just think every pet should be inside. Is that, and look, you know, and, from and, and a veterinarian point of view? Certainly from a veterinarian point of view, I, I concur completely. I think the best thing is to try and... The best prevention of heat stroke is not getting hot in the first place. Yes. So it, it's all well and good to say, I'll bring them in in the middle of the day. But if they've already heated up, it may be too late. So I think certainly indoors on those very hot days is a very, very good idea. And so some of those signs, again, to watch out for is obviously if the animal's fatigued, panting. Correct. So, so often there will be a lot of drinking being done first. Okay. So you often will see an increased thirst. But sometimes that won't be your first sign. And interestingly, often just 
a, a very lethargic flat dog is your first sign. Right. They just don't wish to move. They'll often look at, they'll often be lying on their, ster- on their sternum, or what we call ventral recumbency, they're lying on their bellies. Because most uh, bellies are less haired, if they can lie that, that onto a cooler surface, it helps them to lose that body heat. Right. So that's a really good thing for if you've got tiled or linoed areas in your house, they're great spots for dogs in the summer because they can use those cooler surfaces to lie down on. Excellent. Um, the other thing you could also find is that providing ponds sometimes, so people often have those children's pools. Oh, uh, yes, yes. Um, they can be helpful for get some dogs. Pool. Yep, yep. Be conscious of, of what we get, uh, what are called hotspots, where if your dog has been in the water and then you get lots of sun, then you can get those dermatitis starters as well. Very good advice there. That's it for today, Cheryl Shaw, <laughs> Dr. Paul McCarthy. <laughs> You've done well. <laughs> Thank you very much. Thank you to all of our calls, of course. We're back next week. Thanks for listening to this podcast from 2NURFM at the University of Newcastle. Topics range from gardening to health, well-being, pet care, finance, business and travel. You'll find them all at 2NURFM.com.